Hello and welcome to the Thursday Night Post Game Show, partially halfway from the road. My name is Brady and I'm joined by David, David back home in Chicago. Jordan is both here in spirit and he's also to the left of me driving the car as we return from LSU. But because of his duties of making sure we get there safely, decided to remove his hosting duties from him for a half podcast. As we look back at the 56-14 Georgia State loss to LSU football field in a one-in-one weekend on the basketball court for the men's basketball team of Georgia State against NIU and Little Rock. And let's start with the football on Saturday night in Baton Rouge. It's actually a 14-14 game, 12-45 to go in the second quarter. Marcus Carroll got a 44-yard touchdown run to tie it. And it was a game where Georgia State had a chance there near the half to go into the comfortable maybe even be tied. Uh, They missed on a fourth down conversion at the LSU 30 that would have tied the game. The next play, LSU hit a 70-yard touchdown pass for Jaden Daniels to Brian Thomas Jr. And LSU tacked on another touchdown right before the break and got another one on their first drive after halftime. And from there, Jaden Daniels put on a show, eight total touchdowns. Georgia State loses by 42 after losing 42-14 back-to-back weeks. But I feel like where I want to start framing the discussion is saying it was a worse score, but I honestly, I feel like it was a better result as far as just, I felt like they gave themselves a much better account. And the rest of it, you could chalk up to Daniels and LSU being like really good. I wholeheartedly agree with that. And, you know, it's funny Obviously, the team hasn't been playing their best football of late, but I don't know. It really looked like this game that they kind of got back to how the offense looked in the, you know, the beginning of the season. Yes, they scored 42 points. Yes, they were shut out in the second half. Um, You know, and yes, we can talk about the defense, I guess, but it really did look like the offense had a little bit more fluidity. I could kind of see, you know, what the game plan was and, you know, what they were trying to do and how they were trying to move the ball. Um, You know, it's not going to be a day that they specifically write home about. Um, But I I enjoyed what I saw out of the offense. And I I think they they get that game a little bit more competitive than the final score would indicate. You know, anytime you see, okay, they went down and, you know, LSU had 35 points at halftime and Georgia State only had 14. But I really think, you know, some of that was just the sequencing of the game caused it to be kind of what the score ended up being. And also just like we talked about, you know, in the midweek, Jaden Daniels, this is what he's been doing all year. And this is what, you know, this is how he and LSU has been as an offense this year. So it wasn't really a surprise that, you know, they got to the lotty numbers that they ended up getting to. Yeah, I think the question that I had and we had was like, how much do they care about him staying in and getting a bunch of stats? And the answer was a lot. Because he stayed in till I think, what, three minutes left the fourth quarter is when their backups went in on offense for the first time. I mean, look, the thing of it is they got the ball eight possessions. They scored eight possessions. You basically can't spin that into anything good for the, the defense. Like, LSU could do what they wanted all day. They only faced six third downs as an offense and converted five of them. The other part of it is that that continues a streak of Excluding the kneel down drive in Florida last week, 13 straight drives as an offense, they have scored a touchdown. And Florida's an SEC defense with SEC recruits that has made some 
games challenging for other SEC offenses, but not LSU because they're just a wagon. It is an absurd unit. Um, still things that got singled out, you know, the secondary really struggled by Brekis Brown got picked on, on quite a few of those touchdown plays. Um, and there was no pass rush really to speak of. So they mixed in some blitzing. They sat back at some zones, but the sum total of all the different efforts they had was that Jaden Daniels made it work, found an open guy or ran for it himself. And so it wasn't a good defensive effort, but it's a lot of teams have had bad defensive efforts against this LSU offense. And so it kind of is what it is. And you kept it bottom up for the first quarter and change you made them work for it a little bit um the one thing maybe you could point to on the second touchdown drive lsu had a holding penalty backed them up to a first and 20 they were able to convert that and stay on the field later on the same drive there was a third and 10 that got converted for a first down when uh lsu's tight end mason taylor fumbled the ball forward and it went past the yards to gain and an LSU player fell on it for a first down. And like, if you're the team trying to pull off the upset in Tiger stadium there, you've got to have that play happen for you, not the other way around. And so if those plays are going against you, that's just how the ball is going to roll on a certain Saturday night. Certainly is, you know, and I like us, like you said, you know, the defense could have played better. Um, you would have loved to have seen them get a turnover or a sack. Um, just really, you know, get force a little bit more pressure. But I like that the defense played strong. There was just a talent discrepancy, if that makes sense. Like we've seen the defense the last couple of weeks be sloppy against teams where I think that the talent discrepancy wasn't as stark as what we saw on the field yesterday. And I still felt like the defense, the, the defense made them try. I will say like, it's, it's obviously, you know, Jaden Daniels is doing what he's doing. You know, obviously there were some situations where LSU got into some, you know, quote unquote behind schedule, but what really is behind schedule for them. Um, but like you said, there was that holding penalty that they had and they were backed up on first down and it kind of didn't matter. Um, but it, it wasn't exactly like they just, you know, fell over. Yes, obviously there was some big plays, you know, but a lot of the big plays just ended up ended up being scores, you know, it was field flipping scores, you know, the 40 yard touchdown pass, the 70 yard touchdown pass. Um, but I, I really do felt like the defense at least competed. And that was one thing that I was worried about going into the week that I did not think that the defense would compete um, as much as I think that they really did. So that's off to them for, you know, showing up for it. Yeah. And I think that there's real positives from the first quarter and a half from the offense, but just as a whole game picture from the offense, they held the ball for 35, 21. They went on a six forty drive in the third quarter after LSU's first touchdown in the second half that didn't result in any points, but took almost half of the quarter off of uh, the score off the the clock. And honestly, the way LSU's offense has been working, that might have saved 14 points from being scored in that amount of time. And Coach Elliott even mentioned after the game that like, at a certain point, because of the game situation, there were some situations in the game they might have, in normal circumstances, dialed up a shot play. And they had some of those earlier in the game on that opening drive. They had success finding Kadarius Thompson on a free play on one of them. But that they in, internally were like, we've got a kill clock here. We cannot leave the defense out there so much more. And so 
it is something Brian Kelly also talked about in his post game is a, a good game plan that Georgia State had and executed that they had to control time of possession or this was going to get ugly, ugly, ugly. And I referred to it in the midweek last week. They gave up 72. Uh, Grambling gave up 72 to LSU. Army gave up 62 to LSU. 56 doesn't seem like a whole lot less, but I think being able to stay on the field offensively is a big part in at least holding them under 60. And when you look at the other teams that they've dropped 50 on, you don't feel like in miserable, miserable company. It is kind of the cost of doing business with this team. I agree. I absolutely agree with that. And, you know, it's funny. Uh, during the run and kind of when they started, where Georgia State started this season, I really thought that at some point this year, I had the thought that, like, okay, I wonder if this will be a team that could actually push LSU. Um you know, it didn't work out that way. Like, that's fine. Obviously, the season has gone in, you know, the direction that it's gone in. But um, the offense being able to kind of do what they wanted to do and, you know, have a decent game plan, um, you know, even against some of the athletes that they were going up against. I, I Like I said earlier, I really think that the offense had a good afternoon despite the only, you know, despite only 14 points being on the board. I think, you know, the play calling, it didn't look um, it didn't look like they were in between play calls like it has the last couple of weeks it didn't look like the you know the guys on the field were confused when the calls came in you know I thought that they ran much better this week against you know LSU than they did against James Madison in App State um, which I mean that, that has to account for something you know I think Robert Lewis had another good game and I think Georgia State did a really good job of that like put it in space make let a guy make a play style passing offense that they have employed over the year um, you know and uh, like there were there were some plays where LSU could not tackle Marcus Carroll or Robert Lewis once they got into space um, Car- uh, Carroll when he was getting handoffs sometimes and um, when they put him in space. I mean, I, that 21-yard catch you know, catch and run that Carroll had, I mean, it was really just indicative of good blocking. And that is the offensive scheme that we had seen from Georgia State early on in the year that kind of opened up some of those, you know, deeper passes. Um, and, you know, and, you know, you were on it earlier, you know, before the game that Jakaias Cradle was back. But, I mean, man, it just – it was so nice to have him back. It just just to have another option. Um, and I, I can't remember when he went down specifically. But it, it really did seem like when he went down initially, the receiving corpse – suffered in a way that the last few weeks it just they had not been able to really be effective as a unit until I mean this week yeah I honestly was not 100% sure I saw him on the video of the team boarding the plane and it felt interesting to me because I don't know why he would have been traveling not to mention he did not appear to be wearing any kind of boot which he had been because he had had surgery and so it definitely made me immediately go, okay, when I get there on Saturday and the team's on the field, let me look. And sure enough, he was with the team, with the receivers uh, running in the end zone. And I said, all right, but let's see where he ends up playing. Like if he gets in late in the game or, and he was there on the first drive. And I thought it was important for the offense. He was there on the first drive. He drew a DPI in the end zone. A couple plays later, Tyleek Williams gets the touchdown six yards out. George State takes seven, nothing lead. He's just a guy you have to account for. 
And I don't know that like it's like the reason things got stagnant because the passing offense and the offense in general had still been good for a couple of games without him after the Coastal game before this kind of rut that they've been on. But I think he does add a dimension and just another person that if you're worried about Tyleek Williams and you're worried about Robert Lewis and you've got Jakaius Cradle in single coverage, him and Darren have been doing deep shots for touchdowns for the last three, you know two and a half seasons. So Darren, after the game, was very obviously happy to have him back in the fold as another receiving option, praised him as a good player. Coach Elliott similarly said that they had expected him back at some point, uh, but this week he had said to them early in the week that he was feeling good, and so they worked him in as much as they could this week, and then he was sure to say he's going to be a big part of the game plan for the final game and then the bowl game. And I think the thing about the passing game you just needed to see it look more like most of the year. I don't think that you were expecting this game to be like the Charlotte game where Darren goes absolutely crazy. The stats don't go wild. Darren was 23 of 29, which I think is good. The completion percentage being so high, I think is an excellent return to form for him. Only 179 yards for him, but it just felt more like the offense we've seen. It felt like the passing game, setting up the run game a little bit. There was a, a lot of more of a pass lean and it felt like what we had seen the beginning part of the year where they were really just taking the look they were getting from the defense. And I don't know if the last couple of weeks, if it was an execution problem or if they started trying to get, you know, maybe a smart and or the defense they were facing and getting a little too analytical about it. But this week it felt like we were watching the offense that we have been accustomed to seeing. And it was no surprise to me then that they put together one of their better opening drives of the season, got on the board, and then later in the first half, pass, 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 and you got Marcus Carroll free on a 44-yard touchdown run. Uh, After that, pretty mixed bag, except for, like I mentioned earlier, keeping the ball and going on some drives that went nowhere, but worked some clock doing it. Uh, and then a little bit of reserve play down the stretch. Uh, McKeely, Colasardo led a drive down into the red zone, turnover on downs at the 13, so no little bonus points to steal there. But I guess the way I would talk about it is Georgia State closed this game, or entered this game. The win, win first kick happened. They were 32.5-point underdogs, and they lost by 42. They were favored against App State and lost by 28. And they were, I want to say something like five or six point underdogs against James Madison and again, lost by 28. So as far as expectations go, I'll make the point again that like this was exceedingly better against expectations than any of the last couple of games has gone. And that is still something you can take forward. And I think the offense felt like they found their groove again and you can take that forward for your final game of the regular season and into the bowl game as well because they're going to need them to look more like that if they want any chance of winning either of the remaining games i agree you know and i mean look there's still something to play for you know it it might not be a trip to troy or you know a trip to the sunbelt championship game or anything like that but there's still plenty to play for you know it's it's no small feat to tie a school 
wins record. And, I mean, this is a team that won four games last year. They won six this year. You know, they want to go back to a bowl game. Like, that is – I wouldn't quite say that bowl games are the standard for Georgia State, but it's – this is a program that has become accustomed to going to bowl games at the very least, you know. So there's still plenty to play for. They're definitely going to try to get that seventh win, you know, upcoming this week against Old Dominion. And then, you know, let the selection committee, you know, seal their fate for who their bowl opponent is. And another note from this game, or I guess a couple of notes of the same Mark Driss Carroll flavor. He got the milestones. 13 rushing touchdowns in 2023 now is a single-season record at Georgia State. He also eclipsed 2,000 career rushing yards in this game. Darren Granger, for his matter of fact, is five yards off of 2,000 career rushing yards. He got 32, so if he got the same performance again next week, he'd break it next week. And Marcus is also 186 yards off Greg's career record, 2265 rushing yards. And he needs just 161 to break Trey Barnett's single season rushing yard record, 1453 that he set in 2019. And so if he gets the, the amount of yards that he got this week, he breaks the Trey Barnett record in the final two games. He needs a little bit more of an average to get to the Tucker's record, but certainly doable and I mean it it feel like a fitting situation where he waits his time becomes a lead back gets almost all the carries and becomes the season's record holder in yards and touchdowns it's been a fun year for 23 and glad that he got a big moment and the SEC stage like that touchdown run to silence the crowd at least for a moment Going to move on to basketball now. Uh, maybe slightly less to say on each of the games. Uh, we certainly did our best in the car on both ways to watch and follow along. Got a pretty good idea of what went on, but maybe my more extended thoughts leading into the coverage of next week's games as we uh, uh But Georgia State loses on Friday to uh, Northern Illinois 70-64, to shot 30% as a team, and Judd's just not going to get it done. Just for the first time this year, you didn't have enough points and enough shots made to stick around and win a game. But they turned around on Sunday. They got the win over Little Rock, 88-77. Tanari Lane, career-high, 23 points. Six made three-pointers. So the shades of Corey Allen that come with him wearing the number 11 jersey continued to be there. Uh Shot better, shot 46.7% as a team. Held Little Rock to 5 of 24 three-point and held them to 38.7% shooting as a team. And they were up five late and went on a little 7-0 run that took their largest lead, and they held it from there. They get back to 500 at 2-2, two and two and they'll face this very same Little Rock team on Wednesday in Arkansas. So uh, from your vantage point, David, your thoughts on the weekend's basketball action. So I'll start in order um, because despite the, despite the final score and, you know, kind of looking under the hood, the, they didn't really play that well on Friday, but I wasn't particularly concerned. Um, 
and and here's why. I think there's something to be said about this idea of taking good shots versus bad shots. Um, and when you've seen a team take a lot of good shots, and then they all of a sudden start taking a lot of bad shots, either you know in a specific game or over the course of a game, you know you tend to kind of gravitate back towards taking good shots. At least that is how you know the averages work. The better you are as a team, you know the more likely you are to be taking good shots. On Friday, Georgia State didn't take a ton of good shots. You know, the three-point shooting, it really did look like they were just chucking, you know, chucking balls at the hoop. And, I mean, the four for 18 kind of spoke for itself. You know, that's definitely the worst three-point shooting percentage they've had this year. Um, And, I mean, and the game flow kind of showed that. I don't think... It's not like, you know, NIU did well. They actually shot worse than Georgia State from beyond the arc. They were 4 for 20. Um, But the thing that kept NIU in the game and kind of the difference maker since they both made 14 free throws was just they hit three more shots. You know, they hit three more two-pointers. They took less of them, but the shots that they were getting, they were kind of – capable of running the offense that they wanted to run and you know the the score wasn't necessarily anything to write home about but you know that ended up being the ball game right there and you know that's kind of how georgia state played in the first half of the little rock game you know i think that they were able to take better shots, but there were also moments of time where outside of Tenari Lane, they weren't taking good looks, either from behind the arc or, you know, from the floor. And that was what impressed me so much about the second half was because despite Little Rock actually giving them some, you know, I don't want to say trouble, but Little Rock being able to kind of calm down and settle into an offensive game flow in the second half, Georgia State just started taking better shots and they were getting guys open and started making them. And, you know, that really ended up being the difference in the ball game um you know tenari lane only hit two of his six threes in the second half but uh, you know he was the only one who was capable of getting into the actual flow of the offense in the first half and that was an off that was a, a half where they still scored 40 points you know i don't want to say that they did poorly in that half because i think they did well it's just a lot of what they did they excelled at was kind of getting second chance points and you know getting offensive rebounds um and that was what really allowed them to score. I mean, their first half points in the paint, they scored 14 of their, what, 40 points in the paint in the first half. Um, you know, and, and obviously that matters. Like, I think they did, they kind of took what Little Rock was giving them defensively. And, you know, this was a game where the the bigs for Georgia State, they didn't necessarily light up the stat box. But, I mean, I, I thought they played well. I thought Leslie played really well and was very close on some of those, you know, blocks that could have gone either way. Namoko um, didn't – he got some time mostly in the second half. Um still thought he did well. He ended up with only three rebounds, and, you know, this was a better rebounding effort from Georgia State. You know, they split 37-37 versus the NIU game. Um, They they actually also split that one, too, but it really really felt like NIU was killing them on the boards, uh, but it was mostly the defensive boards. Um, But, yeah, I, I just think, you know, when Georgia State is getting open looks at the basket, when they are, you know, running an active offense and, you know, guys are communicating it really does look like the offense that we have seen in years past, not last year. Um, you know, the good offenses that we've seen in years years past. When Georgia State kind of goes through their slumps, 
you know, the, the fascinating thing to watch is it's not that they're in a slump because they're, you know, kind of being a stagnant offense. They're in a slump because they start taking their, you know, their forced offense is forced shots. Um, and so that's definitely something that they're not going to be able to get away with against some of the larger teams, you know, from a size perspective. You know, they'll need to continue to either out-rebound teams to kind of work through that or, you know, minimize the amount of bad looks that they take. But, I mean, all in all, I really don't think it was a bad weekend of basketball at the Convocation Center. Yeah, I'm going to suggest a couple of things they should work on that are going to sound really obvious, which is they need to maximize the things that they're good at and they need to find better solutions to their problems. And I'll put specifics on that to make it sound less like I'm cribbing someone else's homework. Um, they need to find ways to be more effective with how much they're pushing the tempo. Like they have a size disadvantage most times. They just, especially as long as DK is not made his season debut yet, uh, he's out of a boot, which is helpful news. Um, they are going to have to find a way to make it matter from a speed and just a game cohesion perspective that they have a bunch of guards on the court. And that's when they're getting transition opportunities, the transition offense at times has been a little bit in, you know, indecisive, maybe forcing it when there's not a lane there to drive into and forcing a bad shot playing for contact. I think a few too many of those early in, in the season have gone missing and that's for an offense that's managed to put up some pretty hefty numbers. So if they could just add on a few more possessions and transition on top of that, it would help them. And the size is a thing they got to work on a solution for, because I think the book is starting to get out that you're seeing teams just crash the offensive blast against them. And you're having teams who have bigs, like they are prioritizing just finding a spot, making sure they don't get boxed out and just getting at least a hand on the basketball and keeping it alive for someone else to get. And the numbers themselves aren't that bad. I don't know that they've been out rebounded by more than like, I don't know. They've been pretty level in all of the games. And I think they've even edged it out uh, against Belmont. Maybe Um, it was close against Western Michigan, I believe as well, but you're right that it's felt differently because there's just been moments where they're, the other team has just been able to stack O rebounds together. And you saw that in both of these games this weekend and getting the second chance points or whether there's points involved or whether it's just like a Georgia state player fouls someone when they're going for that offensive rebound and they get the possession anyway, doesn't go down in the stat book as a rebound, but it might as well be one because you're giving them that extra possession. I don't know what the answer is. It's easy for me to say riding down uh, I 85, uh, not being in the basketball room, deciding this type of stuff, but whether it's just like speaking to them, getting more of an intention of just getting a body on a guy in the paint, uh, tipping the ball up to someone who can go grab it, whatever it is, that book is clearly out. And that's also showing out in, you know, Northern Illinois had I think 11 or 12 blocks on Friday. Georgia State had zero. They clearly found a way to make their size advantage matter against Georgia State. And so when teams are going to come into the Convocation Center or when Georgia State goes on the road and there's a team with some effective big men, they're going to have to find a way for their guards to get to the basket without getting their shots affected because that's going to be something that's going to stand out on film. You know, when a team, when whoever assistant is doing the scout on Georgia State conference play, they're going to look for the games where there's those loud stat numbers. And they're going to see a game where 
a team got double digit blocks on you and they're going to be like, how can we replicate that? And how can we make their life hard? And so it's going to be on Jonas and his staff to kind of adjust from early season. You're seeing how teams are starting to play you. You've got to punch back. You got to find an answer because I worry if that trend continues with the blocks and with the offensive rebounds, those are the type of things that can swing games against Georgia state going through the rest of the year. It certainly can, and I like what you said about the fast break point because it was something that kind of had a Jekyll and Hyde in the Little Rock game because in the first half, it really felt like they they kind of went too fast on the offensive fast break opportunities, and it led them to not being able to secure as many baskets as I think that they should have been able to secure, and, and they still scored. I mean, they scored six six points off fast break, so, you know, if it was if it was – three twos or two threes then fine I just it really felt like given the amount of turnovers that Little Rock had in the game um, and given the amount of steals that Georgia State was able to secure in the game it, it felt like it should have been more in that regard and even though you know they'll get down the court and kind of get stopped and they'll kind of reset their offense I still think that they did well in the half court offense to where it didn't really matter but it was certainly interesting to watch how in the second half that kind of flipped on its head and I think that they were they were much better they scored 16 points off fast break and it really looked like they kind of calmed down found their center and was able to accelerate off of that um, you know no pun intended because the, I mean the reality is this if you're not an elite rebounding team you're going to need to find ways to win on the margins and fast breaks can certainly be an area where Georgia state can win on the margins. If they're using their guards as effectively as we think that they can. Um, and, and that's, that's something that I worry about only because the, the bigs, I think the bigs have talent. They do. And, you know, we've only seen them for four games and obviously there's so much basketball left, but The the rebounding thing has been weird because it's felt like the guards have at least been good at being disruptive. Maybe not boxing out guys, but they've been good at being disruptive on the block and getting rebounds. And I can't tell if that's an intentional thing or if that's, you know, just kind of the product of the size that they have. And that's why it, it has felt like the guards have been so much better at getting, you know, like Ricky Bradley. I mean, he had, what, four rebounds? Um, I, I, Tanari Lane had three rebounds. This is against Little Rock today. You know, so I think it's it's interesting to see, and I'm curious to see how that evolves over the course of the season, because if your guards are capable of putting up elite rebounding numbers, yeah, the big man thing can kill you, but it might not actually kill you that badly. You just have to truthfully be elite at the level of defense that is required to have your guards be the primary rebounders. We saw it last year. Jonas has talked about it since he's gotten here. Dewan's just great in that part of the game for his size. Dewan is just an active rebounder for a point guard. And it's something that has certainly helped as this team is lacking for size and needs guys who just have that want to. And so I'm sure they're going to keep leaning on him for that. I do have to row back something that I did say in our big men preview where I was kind of like, you know, it's a good situation for DK to slide into uh, he's not going to get that much asked. Um, I do think that they're going to need him when he is healthy. Like, I do think he's going to step into a situation where 
if he is able to make that leap as a freshman, it will help this team greatly because quite literally, you know, seven footers do not grow on trees. You do not get that many guys you're going to go up against with his size and some belt play. And so I'm not expecting it because you always know with freshmen, it's either going to be something they click right away and they're just going to be superstars or it takes at least a year to find it as we've kind of seen with Ed Namoko. But I do think I need to redo that take and say, actually, when he is ready, he might be a pretty important part of this team. However many minutes they're going to slide him in for uh, whenever that does come. Uh, But I also wanted to, you know, I talked about some of the things they need to work on and I should highlight something that has been just exceptional this year, which is the assist to turnover and just the turnovers in general. If you look right now on Ken Palm, Georgia state is offensively in the top 20 in turnover percentage. They've turned it over on just 11.9 of percent uh, possessions. They're top 50 in both steal percentage Steel percentage is low being a good number. They're at 6.3% as an offense of those possessions. And 5.6% of possessions ending in a non-steel turnover, also top 50. They had 15 turnovers against uh, Western Michigan. In the other three games, they have combined for 19. Today, they had six while having 16 assists. You know, Ricky Bradley had five assists, no turnovers. Dewan Odom had five assists, one turnover. All these guards are taking care of the ball really well, and that is helping subside some of the things they are working through, whether it's the late game stuff, whether it's the fast break, whether it's just the lulls they might be going through on occasion on offense. If they were even turning it over at a like league average or division one average clip, they might not have won the two games they have won. They're taking control of the ball and taking making it work. And that's something that you can really, really lean on as a part of just the DNA of your offense. It's been really impressive that they have just cared about the basketball and like he hasn't really gotten a chance to shine. And I don't know if that's going to be his spot this year, but just low key. And especially in today's game against little rock, I've been impressed with Ricky Bradley. He had some foul trouble against Belmont. Uh, I think he had a little bit of it against Western Michigan as well. But when he's been on the court enough time, I think he's been handling himself well for a guy who's still just in the second year of college. Certainly interesting to see how he grows over this year and over the future, because so long as he stays here, it feels like he's going to be kind of an important focal point of running the offense for the next couple of years for Jonas. So we'll have more thoughts in the midweek. We'll also actually dive into the trip itself. I'll when Jordan is free and able to be at a microphone, felt like the best time to do that side of things. But fun trip to Baton Rouge, despite the loss. Um, we'll leave the basketball talk, I think, until uh, after the Little Rock game. They also play at Charlotte this Saturday. And so a couple of road games, three in a row to talk about. Uh, they go to Kennesaw after that. So we'll dive into that in future. We'll talk about ODU game in the midweek and we'll look at the rest of the Sunbelt, which it was a pretty interesting week. Uh, ODU involved in that interest. And so see you back on the midweek later this week. Thank you for listening. Uh, Thank you for bearing with cell phone on the road audio. Uh, And thank you for listening as always.